2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report of Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the big bounce for stocks whether it provides any clues for where your money is heading next. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Surat Sethi, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova, John Egeri, and Jerry, he's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets. 12 noon in the east, oil's down. That is obviously helping stocks a lot. The Dow is good for 725 points. S&P 500, 2.5%. NASDAQ, the big winner, 400 points. That's more than 3%. Yields on the rise, 192 on the 10-year. Joe Terranova, um, I've got so many moves from the investment committee, people who are here with us today and those who are going to call in for a minute, uh, in a minute, and and talk about what they're doing in the market. Um, Does everything hinge on the the near-term move in commodities and oil? You must be thinking about what's happening in Ukraine as well. I see that you bought Marriott this morning as a new buy. Talk to me.
3: So yeah, I think I think a day like today, Scott, what it allows you to do, seeing the strength in the market, seeing a little bit of a pullback in oil, it allows you for a moment to finally look forward and think about what ultimately can be as we get to the second half of the year and if we get to twenty as we get to twenty twenty three. And I think there's just tremendous pent up demand. We've kind of forgot about reopening. We've kind of forgot about moving from a pandemic to an endemic environment, it doesn't mean you're dismissive of the conflict in Ukraine and Russia and the inflationary pressures that exist. We understand that, I've said it on the network, volatility persists, you kind of reside yourself running in place. But when I think forward six months to nine months, I see so much better of an economic and market environment. And going in and buying Marriott, that's a way to represent that feeling. It's a way to understand that pent up demand in the business community is ultimately going to return and in a year when capital allocation strategies are so important a company like marriott which has suspended uh, that capital allocation strategy it will return on the other side of the year so today gives you a, a degree of optimism in what's been an overall malaise market. And and some of the actions uh, that I'm taking in my portfolio are indicative of that.
2: You know, I I mentioned people who aren't on the show today have a lot going on, including our Josh Brown, who's now joining me on the phone to talk about his latest buy. Uh, And it's an interesting one. Um, Wasn't really expecting it. Moderna. You bought it. Why?
0: So, uh, as regular viewers will recall, Judge, this was on a list of tickers that I had had longstanding buy-limit orders in at what I was calling ludicrous prices. Well, I got my ludicrous price in Moderna yesterday toward the close, $125 a share. And I never thought in a million years I would get it, but I'm really glad that I did. So, I'm not wildly bullish about Moderna per se, but I think it's an amazing company. And I bought the stock in a 75% drawdown. I'll repeat that, 75% from its high. This was a $500 stock that fell to 125. And to be frank, I think it's one of the most cutting edge, um, technologically exciting companies of all the publicly traded opportunities in the pharma, biotech, healthcare space. Like, these guys are on the cutting edge in so many ways. And if you think about the valuation, it's a $50 billion market cap where I bought it. So they're, they're talking about $19 billion worth of vaccine sales for 2022. And that doesn't include federal government orders, of which they have none yet. So there's probably a lot of upside to that number. And I know everybody now thinks that we're in the endemic phase, and I hope that's true. But we don't know that for a fact. The next variant that comes along, and keep in mind, Delta came along in the summer, uh this stock could easily go to 200 dollars on on some sort of an idea that oh wait a minute the boosters are going to be needed again there's going to be new variants so I, I think there's a lot of potential upside not a ton of potential downside and the cash position i should also get into so it's about two and a half times 2022 sales but they're converting like two-thirds of every revenue dollar directly into cash i think they have 17 or 18 billion dollars in cash right now so if you were to back that out this is an even cheaper stock so i think there's a lot of ways to win not a lot of ways to lose definitely it could go lower i'm not saying it's the cheapest stock in the world but again this thing has already lost like a hundred and something billion dollars in market cap in a very short period of time and i think that looks overdone
2: i'm looking at the the spread between you know the, the 52 week high and the 52 week low I mean, it was pushing 500 bucks um, and it got down as low as one hundred and seventeen dollars. You you said, you know, the, the range in which you you bought it and your your optimism is no doubt matched by by Steve Weiss, who's owned that stock for a long time. He's mentioned it numerous times. Josh, I want you to stay with me. Can we bring Weiss in also, guys? Let, let's bring in Steve Weiss. He he's traveling but he made some time for us too, uh, because he has some things that are going on. But first, Weiss, if you can hear me and you're there and I hope you are, yep. your reaction to I'm what here. you just heard from uh Josh Brown, who made a pretty bullish case on Moderna, one that you've laid out repeatedly on this program. What do you think about the purchase around one twenty five ish?
4: Well, first of all, I think that's the only time I didn't want Josh to stop talking. Um <laughs> It's it, 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 it's a great buy. Look, I, you know, I happened to be texting with uh, Stefan Bonczak, the CEO, uh, last week, and he said, "Can you believe we're selling at five times earnings?" Josh is dead on. Nineteen and a half billion sales booked already for uh, for Spike back backs this year, plus options another three and a half billion. They're also going to have their CMV vaccine likely come to the market this year. And that's birth defects. That's two to five billion. And that'll further de-risk the platform. It's been de-risked anyway. So, yes, yeah, so I think there's a lot of upside. I mean, the stock, I mean, like so many stocks, that got props too high. Didn't really realize at the time, should have, uh, on COVID. But uh, now it's too cheap. It's so, you, a you, you know, million in cash is here. Weiss,
0: do you know what they're intending to do with all that cash? Because that is an enormous amount of cash for a fifty billion dollar market cap. Almost, 20, I think it's eighteen or nineteen billion.
4: Like, what what are their plans for that? Right. Well, it'll be almost double that this year. So the plans are they are they've got a brilliant strategy. So they are building facilities in partnerships with governments around the world. They did in Canada. They announced one in Kenya. Uh, by the way, the cash is going to go up because they only agreed to hold the pricing of the spike vax at 18 to $23 during the pandemic. Now that you're at the endemic phase, you can see the price of the vaccine go to $100, which is more normal. So what they're going to do is they're going to continue to develop. Don't forget their platform over the last year has gone from about 22 therapeutics and vaccines to now 41. I hope they mm. also do some M&A. That's what I like to see biotech companies do, is M&A, rather than buy back stock, although they do have a buyback going on. So it's a great position to be in. They've got the best balance sheet in health care, period, end of story. So Let me do this,
2: Weiss, before I know know you you have a very small window uh, for us. Josh, thank you so much for calling in and and talking to us about this this new play uh, of yours. We'll see, uh, I I know, uh, in the days ahead. Steve Weiss, before I let you go, um, you obviously have another big winner today in XPO because the spinoff there. That stock is up huge, and you can opine on that for certain. But you also bought FedEx. uh, And I tell you what, um, something that you sold is going to tee up a good debate. But talk to me about FedEx first. Why, why you bought right. it, and if you stay with XPO after the spin.
4: Yeah. So um, so FedEx, I mentioned on the show about a week ago, this stock's getting too cheap. I picked it up just over 200 share, which is 10 times earnings. So that stock is, forget about it being down from 365, but at 10 times earnings with limited exposure to Russia, and they pass on their fuel costs. They get surcharged also for labor costs. So you just can't buy A company like FedEx in what's basically a duopoly and at 10 times earnings, given their growth. And so the issues they had were behind it. Don't forget they don't do business with Amazon anymore. So they feed up all that capacity for higher paying freight, higher paying companies. So that's why I bought FedEx. It was, in my view, a once in a lifetime price. So immediately made it a core position. So I I like FedEx quite a bit. In terms of XPO, Sorry, go ahead. You know, you
2: know, I want to. I just want to bounce ahead. Um, I mean, XPO, yeah. you're, you're not, you're staying in it. That, that's what I need to know. And then I need to ask you another question. I, I added.
4: Experience. I added, and let me just say this, if I can, Scott. Brad Jacobs, I also said a week ago on the show, is the most underrated CEO in the entire S and P. He, don't forget, he invented United Rental. He founded that. He invented, founded the pre, the precursor to waste management right and then he created this tremendous shareholder value by spinning out GXO last summer now he's spinning out the most technologically advanced freight company in terms of brokerage and selling an asset in europe so i'm emailing him yesterday and i said hey congratulations after the news and by the way i bought more on the print as soon as the news hit and i said glad you continue to create shareholder value and he responded and i hope i'm not talking out of school he responded Number, two, number one, two, and three priority are shareholder value, shareholder value, shareholder value. And he being such a large shareholder, you can believe it. So he should be in the Hall of Fame of CEOs. I think goes a lot higher. I so saw one price target in XPO of 112 per share. So you've got tremendous upside there.
2: I hear you. We're seeing the stock push a 15% gain today on that move of what the company is doing. Before I let you go, You sold Cleveland Cliffs. I I said it was going to tee up a debate for obvious reasons, because Jim Labenthal is is with us today. Um, And maybe we can listen to you as we look at Jim and then we can bring Jim in. But why did you sell Cliffs?
4: I I sold Cliffs. Look, the CEO of Cliffs, phenomenal. I I love him, enjoyed our conversations with him, Jimmy and I. But the stock's up on the spike. And one of the reasons why I bought some stocks yesterday, took off some edges, including the XLF, is because commodities start to fail. So commodity was a sell on the news, not just oil, but others, uh, when Biden said, we're banning Russian oil. And if commodities failed, that could on me. In terms of cliffs, cliffs got ahead of itself in terms of the stock price. So it got that pop. So I couldn't get more positive on equities. And I still think we've got more downside, by the way. I'm not saying I'm bullish. I'm definitely not. I couldn't get more positive on equities without feeling that we're at the end of the road or close to it. On commodities. So that's why I sold clips. My guess is I'll be able to buy it back about 15 percent or 20 percent lower.
2: Jim, uh, before I let you run, I just want to get Jim's reaction to this move and whether you think, you know, stocks that have had a big move, Jim, sometimes you got to take a look and say enough's enough.
5: Yeah. So, Scott, by the way, on that note, I did trim Transocean yesterday, but I'll come back to that in a second. I'm not going to take issue with Steve here. Um, This is a very volatile stock. I'm holding on to every share because the amount of free cash flow that's being generated for a company that's very underlevered at this point in time just keeps me in it. But, yeah, this stock, you know, it was at 27 two days ago. It could be at 22 tomorrow. That's the sort of volatility you've got to put up with for a stock that's up 66% over the last year while the S&P is up. 10%. 10%. I'm not going to take the risk of being out of it when it next runs, but I'm not going to get on Steve's case for taking a gain. The antithesis to this, though, is Transocean. And you do have to trim your winners. That stock's up 80% in the five months that I've owned it. It's up 60% in a month. And it's a highly indebted negative free cash flow company. So I had to trim that. But I'm still in it because of that supply, demand imbalance that I'm sure we'll be talking about later in the show regarding crude oil. We,
2: we so, are. I mean, Mark, again, Mark, Mark Fisher, just to remind everybody, the, the great trader, uh, energy trader Mark Fisher is going to join us in just a few minutes as well. We're going to get his call on where energy is going from here. We'll get his best places to be putting your money uh, right now. And he was last with us. Uh, He talked about where oil could go. Uh, Needless to say, as he usually does, he's he's right. Uh, So we'll find out what he thinks now, just to give you a little plug there that Mark Fisher is is coming up. Weiss, I'm going to let you go um, because I want to I want to move on. I appreciate you joining us as well. Okay. you know, this kind of conversation that we're having, just I can't remember a time where we've had a flurry of activity from the committee. Uh, the, in the manner in which we do to start our show today, not only the ones I've told you and the people who are on the program, but those who are calling in, Surat, you got a lot of stuff going on. And it just makes me wonder what the overall message here for our viewer is uh, about where we are in, in this pullback, this volatility that we've seen. Surat, you bought more American Express. You bought more Morgan Stanley. I did. You bought more Qualcomm, yeah. which raises dividend today. And you bought more Uber. Surat, the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, so if you look at that, and, and you know Joe uh, at the top of the show talked about the pent up demand. I mean, look at American Express. The stock was 180 plus just a month ago, and it's down in the 160s. They trade at a, you know 17 multiple. Where is there, wh- where is there demand coming from? from? Gen X, from millennials who are spending money, all the money that's going to eventually go to you know Joe buying Marriott. People are going to start traveling business, so you've got that going. So I like that stock. You got Morgan Stanley that's off almost 20 percent. Multiple is compressed. Nothing's happened to the earnings. And this is a 60 percent revenue recurring business on wealth management. So I really like that. Uber sold off, you know, over 25 percent. And again, playing the story of uh, a pent up demand there where people are going to go out uh, to restaurants and travel and, and playing on that. So so I like those are the stocks that have come back so much more than the market. And, and I think there's an opportunity there for especially new capital to be added. You know, the,
2: the financials are, are off more than 10% from from the highs, Doc. You've heard about Surratt's move. Stephanie Link, by the way, the other day was talking about her edition of American Express as well. You bought XLF March 3850 calls. So you see the tide turning a bit in what's been a really painful trade?
6: I do, Scott. Um, I was on with Leon Cooperman down here yesterday up in Palm Beach to a big uh, conference of, uh, it was called the Wall Street Billionaires Conference. And Leon laid out a great case for energy, which I know we'll hear from Mark Fisher. And you've been hearing from me for weeks. Uh, And as far as financials, uh, that's one sector that really only Mr. Cooper has been moving higher. C-O-O-P. That's one of his stocks, Mr. Cooperman's. So hello, Leon. I told you I'd give you a shout. Um, I think XLF next week expiration um, is an opportunity indeed, Scott. So after a battering that the stocks in the sector have taken, I was more than willing to get in uh, and get some more exposure to this particular uh, ETF. Uh, Broadly, I'm really trading those, those ETFs um, for financials rather than buying the individual ones. Um, But energy wise, completely different story. Buying a ton of energy stocks still.
2: Okay, and we'll talk with you uh, more, certainly when Fish joins us in a little bit about what you think about. Uh, energy And it brings me to you, um, Brenda, maybe not making a, a flurry of moves like some of the others are, but, but nonetheless, then I, I come to you for the bigger picture of whether you think that we have hit a near-term bottom. Dan Niles today on Squawk Box was suggesting he thinks we may have reached a short-term bottom. He's still holding a fair amount of cash and says to retail investors that maybe that's the best advice he has right now wait for this to sort of play through some of the volatility that we've seen. He's got more than twenty five percent sitting in cash. You've got your fellow investment committee members putting money to work in a big way. As you've just heard, what's the best thing to do right now?
7: So I think it's hard to determine whether this is a short term bottom or not. Certainly, we've had some, you know, encouraging news. And I think this is a sign that all you need is a little bit of encouraging news in terms of commodity prices coming down a little bit. Ukraine saying they're ready for diplomacy, and then we have this you know, really nice move in the market here. Clearly, there are a lot of opportunities, and we've certainly been putting cash to work for clients of ours who have had cash uh, or have contributed to their accounts more recently. But I think when we look at the real fundamental environment, you know, there's so much talk about stagflation and other things, but we really look at the environment, the economy is still really healthy. Um, we haven't seen any signs of stagflation yet. It could certainly materialize, and I think we will have some lasting impact from this um, conflict in Ukraine, especially in some areas like wheat, for example, where you know we have the largest exporter of wheat globally, you know, attacking the fifth largest exporter of wheat, and so chances are, you know, especially in Ukraine, um, those crops may not be planted in spring and summer. So we may have some lasting impact that that does impact inflation. But I think we can't forget about the reopening um, happening, as Joe alluded to earlier. Um, And I think the economy is still proving to be pretty healthy here. So I think if you have a timeline that's three months or greater, I think now is probably a good time to add some exposure here. Certainly a lot of stocks are down now.
2: People certainly are today. Um, You see the Dow right now. We'll call it the highs of the day. We're pushing about 720 on the Dow. You saw the NASDAQ with an incredible gain today of some 400 points. That's better than 3%. Um, BlackRock's main man, Rick Reeder, he put a note out just before we came on the air, talked about the fact that they're holding a good deal of cash for now. Those are his exact words. A quote, as assets cheapen up, usually in dramatic fashion, given the dearth of market liquidity, we're ready to deliberately deploy some of our cash that we've stored over the last year, but we're not in a rush to do so. So maybe a measured approach by Rick Reeder as he takes a look at the environment, drops a note just before as I said we came on the air. Let's bring in our first headliner of the day, Chris Heisey. He's the chief uh, investment strategist uh, joining us today from Bank of America. Chris, welcome back. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate that. Yeah. So you heard, you know, people putting money to work on this show today. Others maybe having a little more cautious approach to where we are. What say you?
8: Well, I like the word measured. Uh, when there's craziness and there's high volatility and there's the great unknown and uncertainties at the highest level, you're going to see a lot of people come out and not only be bearish, but actually suggest they know the end game to all of this. And we see a lot of this, uh, uh, you know, in the industry the, I think the most important thing is, is, again, we're going to go back to discipline diversification. And this this group here on on this particular program has a garden of opportunities. We've already heard some of them. And and that's gonna continue in our opinion below the indices. Now at the index level, Scott, it's important to keep your eyes wide open to at least see the bell shake. We may not hear the bell ring when there's a bottom, but at least see it shake. And you look at all of your different indicators. You start with valuation. We got overextended. Everybody knows the story there. We're down 10 percent. The median level in the S&P's P.E. is now back to where we were in in 2019 or below that. The free cash flow level is way above that relative to 2019. And, you know, when you look at the sectors that are leading, they all have tailwinds to them and they're not cresting yet. And last but not least, the starting point in all of this as it relates to the consumer, the corporation, uh, household balance sheets is so very different this cycle versus prior cycles when everyone's trying to gauge is a recession coming, which we don't believe. So we have to be disciplined. We're going to look to rebalance as well. We're going to do it measured. We're going to be patient about it. And there's a lot of opportunities below
2: the index. You think we bottomed on February 24th? Do we put in a short-term bottom as, as some are, you know, not only speculating about, but letting their dollars do their talking?
8: If you pick the right time frame, it's one of the bottoms. Now, we've heard already people talk about in the last few weeks and today saying that there's more to go. And you know what? That's okay if there's more to go. As long as we start to see order restored stability, you're going to have multiple bottoms. There's no the bottom, right? We all know that. Uh, So we think going back to those levels uh, would just provide a a further reason why sentiment should start to turn and go back the other way and the wall of worry be climbed again. And again, no one knows the the bottom, the bottom. It's one of them. And we're looking to rebalance in the coming few weeks as we get to the summer and the full reopening of the U.S. economy, which was just talked about,
2: really starts to get going. I feel like you're suggesting that earnings can hold up in the face of all that we've seen already and what the Fed is going to do. And you may be, you know, on an island. Uh, of that view or certainly approaching approaching it, because I keep hearing about the trend or negative earnings revisions and earnings are only going to go one way from here. And it ain't up.
8: You know, it's kind of a balance beam, right? You're going to hear a lot of companies come out and, and, and try to take advantage of the terrible situation that's going out there in terms of the clouds uh, and, and start to forecast down. We're already seeing some of that. But if you roll it up, the economic profits, nominal GDP still being way above average, some pricing power in specific industries, uh, not just energy, but even materials and some industrials. And the consumer, with all their excess savings, is still opening up the pocket, at least most of the cohorts, and still spending on it. Plus, we haven't even seen the pent up demand filter fully into travel, leisure, and entertainment. So we don't want to be overly cyclical. And finally, Established technology is now down to levels, price to sales. The big growers, uh, you know, below what we've seen over the average of the last 20 years. So, no, we don't. No, we don't know the actual bottom, but I, I can say this: consensus earnings estimates are now coming down to five, six percent over last year, with nominal GDP eight, nine percent or greater. If we avert a recession, like we believe then consensus earnings estimates are too low still, even though we're seeing those negative revisions. We think they're uh, quite higher.
2: Than we're going to see we're going to get we're going to get banged over the head big time tomorrow with CPI. Right. Oh, and a week That's from today, the Fed speaks for real. Right. Puts puts their their pedal to the metal in, in terms of rates. I got all that. And then I looked down at my note and I've got GE announcing a share buyback. And I think about other companies in recent days that have announced similar buybacks. How much of a stimulant is that to stocks in the face of otherwise a fairly negative environment?
8: You know, it helps fill the gap when there's a buyer strike and valuations. Correct. Stock buybacks can not only help fill the gap, they can actually help stability in the overall market, which gives a little bit more comfort to quite a few investors. If you look at the retail, the individual investor, People normally believe that they're a contrarian signal. When they're buying, maybe the market's not going to get ahead of itself or move forward. It's actually the opposite. Our work suggests that when the individual investor is actually in there, um, adding to their positions as things are very volatile and as the fear is at its highest level, mixed with stock buybacks, that generally creates stability in the market. And that's where you start to create that uptrend again. And we think this similar uh, type of episode is happening right now. But again, it's Who knows if it's the real bottom? But over the course of weeks, when you create these bottoms, you get the sawtooth and you start to climb back.
2: Heisey, it's good to talk to you. It's good to see you as always. (laughs) We'll see you soon. That's Chris Heisey, Bank of America. I should let you know as well. Tomorrow on our program, GE CEO Larry Culp is going to be with us. Interesting interview, interesting timing given the news uh, about uh, the buyback as well. Talk to Larry Culp tomorrow. Look forward to that interview Also looking forward to our next interview today, one of the greatest energy traders of all time, MBF Trading CEO Mark Fisher. Where is oil going from here? We'll find out next.
10: Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Ukrainian officials say that a Russian attack severely damaged a maternity hospital in the besieged port city of Mariupol, this during a ceasefire declared by Russia. Ukrainian President Zelensky calls this strike an atrocity. No details yet on casualties. However, local officials there say at least 1,170 people have been killed in the city since the Russian invasion began. And the European Union announcing sanctions against more Russian oligarchs. The list includes the CEO of Aeroflot, who's also the son-in-law of Russian Foreign Minister Sergey Lavrov. British American tobacco bucking the trend of companies suspending operations in Russia due to the invasion of Ukraine. The maker of Camel and Lucky Strike cigarettes says that its Russian business continues to operate, but that it is scaling back marketing and halting new capital investments. And on the news tonight, Shep speaks to a retired four star admiral about the war in Ukraine and what Vice President Harris hopes to accomplish on her trip to Poland. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott, let's
2: look forward to that. Rahel, thank you, Rahel Solomon. Oil prices falling sharply today. As we said at the outset, they obviously remain volatile. Let's bring in star energy trader now. Mark Fisher, he's the CEO of MBF Trading. Fish, it's good to see you. Welcome back. Can't think of a better time to have you on.
11: God, it's a little
2: chaotic. Yes, how are you? I'll say so. Uh, that's the understatement of the year. Uh, last time you were on with us, end of January, you said oil was, quote, going much higher that we could even hit one hundred twenty. Well, here we are. You are obviously right. I've got some people now suggesting two hundred dollars is is the next stop. Does that make sense to you or are we
11: topping out? Uh- I can't get into uh, Putin's head, so I can't tell you whether we topped out at 120 or we're going to 150, 175. But there is significant tail risk, depending on what happens in the, um, obviously, in Ukraine. But what I will tell you is that we were going to 120 even without Ukraine. It was just that what's happened there has just fast-forwarded the whole script, right? And obviously, the tail risk is a lot more because we don't know, you know, what's in the mindset of of how this is going to resolve, and I have no idea. But this... What we're seeing in energy and what we just saw in the grain prices and wheat and what you saw a year and a half ago in ERCOT is you're seeing a run on, you know, like a run on a bank. You're having a run on stuff because the world is basically telling you that we're out of stuff. And so you're having these like runs on different commodities and different stuff that people are panicking because of it may not even be because of reality. It's perception of reality. Right. So what ends up happening is you have this run on stuff. First, that happens in energy. It happens in wheat it happens in. Ercot, you know, I, I kind of think that you're going to have some other com- commodities and other plastics, chemicals, oil palmers, or it's it's all over the place. And again, it's sort of like nobody panics till everyone panics, and then whenever everyone panics, you know that's when that's when you see these crazy spikes. So, you know, you know, we're at 120. I mean, obviously now UAE came in and said that OPEC should pump more. You know, can we go back down? You know, fifteen twenty dollars from here? Yeah, but I think the you know. Do we go to 200? I'm 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 not in the White House. I have no idea. But
2: let me let me ask you this. So you, you suggest, you know, we, we obviously can't get in Putin's head, um, but our viewers would love to get inside yours in, in terms of how you're currently positioning yourself. It's I've heard your, you know, obviously your, your thesis on kind of where we are. Um, are you still long crude, expecting that prices are going to remain uh, at the very least, elevated and have the potential to move higher from here.
11: In my opinion, the best trades are the best risk reward trades. So buying back month crude, you know, December twenty twenty two, you know, ninety. I was ninety dollars. Buying December twenty three at seventy nine dollars. Buying December twenty twenty four at seventy three dollars. Buying the back of the curve and holding it is a better risk reward trade than going ahead and buying the front of the board at this point and buying, you know, spot crude. But for investors who aren't traders, and which most of, I think, your viewers are, all the commodities that they should be looking at, and if they allocate to commodities, it's really just insurance. You know, when you if you're, if you're a investor who doesn't pay attention to the minute-to-minute moves of this, you, you're, you're buying commodities to hedge the rest of your portfolio, just like you buy car insurance or life insurance. You hope you buy the insurance and, and you lose the money, because your life is much better if you lose the money right? Your whole rest of your portfolio does well. So it depends if you're trading or if you're an investor. If I'm an investor, I'd be, I'd be looking at the back of the curve and crude oil more than the front of the curve, because I think it's a much better risk reward
2: opportunity. That, that's interesting. Um, on on a number of levels, um, it, it suggests that when you get later in, in the year, we're not going to be in the same elevated to at least this degree uh, price situation. You You also said the last time you were on, and I want to read a quote to you and get your reaction to it now, you said about oil going up, but if we go up because of a Russia situation or a China situation or a Middle East situation, that will be met by a huge supply increase from OPEC because that's the last thing anybody wants.
11: We obviously haven't gotten that yet. Are we going to? I think we will. Again, I'm not i uh, I'm not a political expert, but I think you saw the first crack today in the UAE. I think that also depends on the Iran negotiations that go on and how the market participants Get through that whole. What, if people get what they want, but I I do think that you're going to see a supply um, response. You see, with the U.S. reaching out to Venezuela, you know the biggest supply response is if we if we incentivize our own producers and you know basically guarantee them a, a floor price and guaranteed for a period of time where to produce more oil and told them we weren't going to go ahead and um, regulate the hell out of them. You probably get a an even bigger response. But yeah, there's going to be an OPEC response. There has to be. Especially because, it's a, I, know especially you, because it's a, I know
2: you. I know you know uh, many of my panelists who are, who are with me today. Joe Terranova, uh, a longtime pal of yours, uh, has a question for you. Go ahead, Joe.
3: Thanks, Scott. Mark, great to see you. You said something really fascinating just overall about commodities and the usage that investors find for it. If you go back and study uh, the history of, of commodities and energy markets, it's really defined by boom bust cycles, right? 07, 08, oil goes above 100, quickly reverts lower. 2012, same type of condition. I think you're suggesting that the conditions are in place here where commodities are actually becoming an asset class. And $4.5 billion last week, Mark, went into commodities. That's more than equities and bonds. So do you see this as a secular boom cycle for commodities and therefore it would be fully warranted uh, for the investors to consider the commodities actually are once again an asset
11: class. I think they should consider it. I think they should do it. I think we are an asset class. I think there's a new normal coming out where basically you're going to want to, you know, as an investor, I'd want to put part of my money into uh, again to commodities as nothing more than insurance. I also think that the boom bust cycle you talk about two years ago, crude went negative 40. Now we're 120, right? Yes, that cycle goes back and forth, but I think. You know the days of seeing crude sub eighty dollars for the for an extended extended period of time are over with. i think the, the you know the bottom of the market if you want to pick say there's a bottom of the market is eighty dollars but joe you know again to your point if there's so much there's so little money allocated to, to commodities that if one percent of all the investable assets move from bonds and stocks to co- commodities what would happen to the price of all these things you tell me you know what would happen
2: I'll tell you, Fish, you know, we're watching the price of crude um, collapse as we're having this conversation. Um, can we show that back up there? It's a decline now of some 16 percent. And and look, it's hard to know the reasons why things move on a moment by moment basis. But I just wonder if the the market is hearing some of the way you're speaking about not only the expectations that OPEC is going to increase production, but that maybe uh, the prices we're at now are, are not sustainable as you go further into the year, and maybe you have some kind of resolution to the situation over in Ukraine. I know you've been keeping an eye as well on natural gas. Um, how do you see that? The spread between... Oh, Mark Fisher dropped out, I'm, I'm, I'm just told. We'll, we'll get him back. I, I promise you that. Um, but Dr. Jay. This is a startling move uh, in WTI as that falls. Stocks are adding to their gains. If we can show the market uh, as well, sure. we can see the Dow is now at the highs of the day. I think the S&P is just about there. But, I mean, a 12% drop uh, is somewhat significant. You're almost pushing an 800-point gain now, Doc, in the Dow.
6: Yeah. Um, and, Scott, I uh, told you last week I sold a third of my position at 114 in crude. That was the energy-related stocks. I sold another third yesterday. I called our producer, Prashant, and told him, hey, I'm, I'm selling here in the high 120s. Um, what did I do with both of those, just like you and I discussed last week, Scott? I sold the, the stock, and I bought calls. Today, on this big dip, I'm buying calls again. I agree with what Mark Fisher said. When you've got contango like this, when you've got the front end of the curve so high, and the further out, he talked all the way out to September, um, you know, in the 80s, that's the end that you want to be buying. When this front end comes down like this, that's why I'm buying calls, Scott, and not reloading with stocks. I still think that we see probably in the neighborhood of 110 to 140, depending where the market's going, depending what is happening as far as uh, a cessation of uh, activities in Ukraine. But I think that's a pretty good play. I think right now fertilizer, fertilizer trades continue to play out for months. So that's where my number one focus is as I lighten up, as I say, on the stock side of energy. But I am still buying calls on the dip like today. Hey, Fish, what's, what's the,
2: the best uh, trade in any commodity that you have on right now that, uh, that our viewers should take a
11: look at? First of all, Scott, I apologize. I think I disconnected you because I made a trade. And I think, you know, being inept like I am, the whole screen went up. But anyway, what, what did me, you make a trade again, in? No, not, I mean you can't leave me nah, hanging nah, like that. Nah, nah, OK, but 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 here. But here's here's if you want. Again, when you look at trade, it's not just it's what how much you're risking, what the probability of success is to me. And I've talked to numerous people about this again, because of this of this of this, you know, run of the bank philosophy that I have in different commodities and that no one cares until everyone cares. You know if you look at the price of natural gas i think the price is around 450 last i looked i'm afraid to click because i'm going to shut you off again all right but at 450 right now we're in the shoulder months for natural gas but you can't tell me that with what happened with you know ducks natural gas going over hundred dollars and with weather you know who knows what the weather's gonna be like who knows what the summer's gonna be like that january this winter natural gas with where 275,000 contracts have to be you know added to look this coming winter. The risk is natural gas goes down a dollar from here, maybe five to four for 50. But the upside before the season even starts because of this whole psychological, you know, are we going to run out? Do we have enough? You know, even though I understand that natural gas in the United States really is not correlated at all to TTF because of you know transportation issues and everything. To me, that's the best risk for a trade on the board. Being long this coming winter, Nat gas represents to me hands down and I'm, again, like I told you last time, I'm probably going to be dead wrong. But to me, that's the best risk of trade, being wrong next winter, natural gas, and waiting to see what happens come August, September, and October.
2: I know, but every time you say you're probably going to be dead wrong, you end up being dead right. That's the problem with you. You end up being no, dead right. Not,
11: I mean, and again, if you want to trade again, I think we discussed before, you know, if you're not going to trade futures, the easiest way to trade is through the stocks, you know, route, range resources, Southwest, whatever the case may be. But-
2: Those are those are still because you've liked range for a while uh, and and you hit a home run on that. Um, One of the times you were last on with us and maybe it was the time before when you you suggested range. So you still like to stay in in those names.
11: Right. I mean, the problem is I'm so I I have such a high conviction level about what's going to happen this winter that I'm I'm either going to be dead wrong or dead right. So I
2: I don't know. All right. But that's Your track record speaks for itself. I got I got a bounce. It's been good to talk to you. We'll we'll, we'll see you again soon for sure. That's Mark Fisher uh, joining us there. Should also let you know that tomorrow, uh, joining us for the very first time is Osprey management founder Dwight Anderson. He specializes in commodities and, and basic industries. We can't wait to catch up with him about where the opportunities are to make money right now and in the future. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Dow's up 800. Back right after
9: this.
2: All right, take a look at stocks right there. Uh, Dow was up about 800. It's up 766. As we speak, uh, there's a direct correlation, clearly, to what's happening in the commodities market. Oil is plummeting today. Let's show oil uh, was down as much as 16 percent about five minutes or so ago during our conversation with Mark Fisher. Uh, it's come off that a little bit. But nonetheless, that drop in crude is having a direct correlation. There it is. It's down about 11 percent, 110 a barrel. And as crude falls, stocks rise. And Jim Labenthal, that's the question we asked at the very outset of our program 48 minutes ago. Is it all about commodities and is it all about oil? And at least right now, it is.
5: Yeah, I would agree with you. But the curious part of this is there's no answer to why uh, crude oil suddenly plummeted. Is there some news on the Iran deal? Is Venezuela going to send us oils? I mean, this is a big, you know, 11 percent drop while bombs are still dropping in Ukraine. It does indicate that there's a piece of news that's missing. There's a piece of the puzzle that's missing here. And I think we need to find that out well, before think, we clarify. I, is think is it part all of it, I think part
2: of it, I think part of it, certainly what's being talked about, uh, our expectations that OPEC is, in fact, going to increase production. Um, that's what some of the chatter appears to be. You heard Mark Fisher's expectations that OPEC will, in fact, do what they haven't done to this point, And that may be the direct correlation between that drop in crude and, and why you're seeing it, Jim.
5: That would give me great comfort, because what I'd hate to think is that this is just, you know, that it's dropping 11 percent because Mark Fisher, as great as he is, and we know he is, but because he said something at 1230 p.m. on our show, I'd like to think that there is a substantive element out there that more barrels are going to hit the market, whether it's OPEC, Venezuela, Canada, Iran. But, you know, this needs to be confirmed by fundamentals is all I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Joe, uh, you flagged uh, some of these headlines for us that that are that are crossing a new service
3: yeah. so i i iraq is talking about a willingness uh... to 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 put more oil out and at the next opec meeting this would be addressed so uh... certainly opec uh... is giving consideration to adding more oil and i think that's the direction that they will take uh... the spot price of oil fell to one oh three point six three on those iraq statements and it's interesting because the buy the dip mentality that Mark has highlighted in commodities, it's still there, Scott. Because we went from one hundred three sixty-three to where we are right now at one ten and a quarter. That's a buy the dip mentality. Yeah, um, I'm going to
2: make a, a, an awkward turn since we're talking about this, but nonetheless, I, I want to get Disney in before we we take a break, and I don't want to miss out on it in the program today. Uh, they have their shareholders meeting at one o'clock Eastern Time, so in about ten minutes or so. Uh, from here, Brenda, you own Disney. There's pressure on JPEG, uh to get this stock moving again. Figure out what's what's happening in the in the near term, medium, and perhaps you know longer term with subs on Disney Plus.
7: Yeah, well, I think, you know, we just heard from the company when they reported uh, that subs are better than expected for Disney+. Plus. Um, and now we have also the parks turning around. So I think there are a lot of good things about this story. Um, the stock hasn't worked over the last year and not this year to date either. But it falls into a category a lot of with a lot of other stocks right now where fundamentals are still really healthy yet it's really not being reflected um, in the stock price. So I, we continue to like Disney. Uh, we continue to like the diversification that their model has versus other companies that are in the streaming business. Um, and we think that you know, as more communication can be had, like this meeting, it should act as a catalyst for the stock.
2: Yeah, I want to correct something too, Joe. I think um, as, as you're talking about oil, I think the headline was more about the UAE um, thinking that OPEC will increase production. So let's just keep our eyes on that as we try and do our own independent reporting as well. But it's clearly having an impact. At least the headline appears to be on crude oil right now down more than 10.5%. And as that happens, stocks have been rising um, pretty thoroughly uh, throughout the program as well. Surat, quickly, you bought more Disney. Be real quick, though, for me.
1: Yeah, I I think to Brenda's point, the flywheel that Disney has, as more people go to the theme parks, the more the streaming services, more the whole network effect works. So that's why I like this. And and you're going to see more... Uh, earnings power at Disney, which has not been reflected in the stock. All right.
2: All right, again, eight minutes or so away from Disney's shareholder meeting. going to be closely watched. John's latest unusual activity is going to be watched next. All right, Dr. J, unusual. Tell us, please.
6: Let's do it, Scott. Um, NVIDIA, uh, this stock was hammered, of course, um, making a bit of a comeback today, let's say as many of the tech stocks are. Uh, Next week, March, 2.30 calls, 45,000, Scott. That's 4.5 million share equivalent. That's enough to squeeze almost any stock. That's the first, I'm in the calls. Second one, Scott, Mara. This, of course, on President Biden's uh, executive orders, looking around at uh, more regulation. That would let a lot of the, uh, Kevin O'Leary and I yesterday, we were talking about regulation helps In terms of getting more institutional involvement, they're buying the 25 calls that expire this Friday, Scott, in MARA Marathon, which is one of the stocks that's benefiting big time today.
2: Okay, we will take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, let's do final trades now. Brenda, why don't you kick us off?
7: Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go with Sherwin-Williams. stock is down 30% this year. Well, very well positioned. The news is already out regarding higher input costs. We think they should have higher volumes as a result of really healthy uh, housing market.
2: Okay, thank you for that. It's Mr. Satie?
1: I'm sticking with Amex. One of the things I didn't mention was this company has spent hundreds of millions in the pandemic to expand their base. And I think I like, I really like companies that are spending money to grow.
2: Okay, Dr. J.
6: Uh, During the show, as we dipped, Scott, I bought the XLE calls out in April. You remember last week I talked about about 71 bucks, hit 77 yesterday. I think this is a good buying area, again, on this news that's not news yet. It's just more or less uh, reporting that hasn't uh, turned into real news.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll figure all that out, too. Uh, Joe T.,
3: Quick update. Early January, I purchased shares of Merck. I am still long. I'm down about 2.9% in the position. I believe in it. I'm staying with it. All right. Farmer Jim.
5: Union Pacific. I think Stephanie was talking about this yesterday, but if we're going to keep doing the supply chain onshoring, there's going to need to be transportation of goods and materials. Union Pacific is way underlooked and uh, needs to be paid attention to. Yeah,
2: you guys are definitely feeling the same vibe. She bought that, uh, did Stephanie Link. I appreciate it. Uh, Man, what an hour. Stocks ripping the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
7: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.